Should I finance a car or pay cash? So you need a new car. Whether it's a new, new car or just a new to use car, you come to the point where you want to get a new car. And you've decided to buy one since we've realized that leasing one is a bad idea. If you didn't listen to last week's episode on buying versus leasing, you can head back and listen to that one for why. So you decided to buy one, not to lease one, but you're wondering now, should you pay cash for it or should you finance it? Should you take out an auto loan instead? As always, you'll find crowds that are militantly on one side of the spectrum or the other. On the one side, you have the cash is king, debt is dumb, always pay cash for everything. You should never, ever go into debt for anything or any reason. And on the other side, there's the do the math crowd. The use other people's money to finance your car. Use a low rate and invest the difference to make even more. Why would you not take out a loan at 3, 4, or 5% and invest it to make 10? Do the math. The math says to always finance and leverage that money. But which is right in the real world? I'm not going to tell you what to think today. Well, maybe a little bit, but more I'm going to teach you how to think about it. Let's walk through some principles for applying wisdom to this decision. So when we're trying to decide, should we pay cash or finance a car, here are six principles that we should pay attention to. Principle number one, luxuries come last. Luxuries come last. Too many people buy cars when they are broke. For example, a person may have no emergency fund, no savings, no investments, no retirement savings of any kind, and a $30,000 car. Basic transportation is a need. Yes, you you need to get to work. You, you need to be able to get there to make the money to do any of these things. You need to run errands to get groceries, to pick up kids from school, to go to, to events. Whatever it is, you, you need to be able to do these things. These are true. But a $5,000 car will get you where you need to go. So will public transit. Transportation is a need, but new or new-ish transportation is not. You don't need that $40,000 car or that $30,000 or $20,000 or even a $10,000 car. Anything over the basic point A to point B are wants or luxuries on top of that need. And luxuries come last. You need an emergency fund. You need proper insurance. You need an adequate amount going toward retirement. And you need all these before you start stacking luxuries on top of that. And you should have all of these things in place before you even think about buying a car that's over and above your basic get from point A to point B. Now, I put my money where my mouth is. I'm currently driving a 2008 Honda Accord. I paid $5,500 for it. My wife is driving a 2005 Ford Explorer talked about having to, to put you know 4200 towards a new transmission in it earlier this year. We are currently not stacking luxuries on top of our needs because we have some other priorities. And so I'm not saying all this, telling you not to buy brand new cars while I sit around and drive a 30, 40, or $50,000 car. I too am living in what I need right now in transportation so that I can put my money closer to where my values are 
and where my needs are. So luxuries come last. You should not be buying a luxury car. And I don't just mean like a fifty or sixty thousand dollar car. If that's way if that's what you think of luxury and you're you know paying have a thirty thousand dollar car and none of these other things. You need to establish all these things first before you get anything that's more than just transportation. Principle one, luxuries come last. Principle two, and we talked about this a little bit last time, only buy a vehicle that you could pay cash for. Only buy a vehicle that you could pay for in cash. Being able to afford a financed car payment doesn't mean that you can afford the car. If you are financing that $20,000 or $50,000 vehicle because you've calculated that you can afford the payment, but you have no money, you can't afford it. You can't afford the car. If you have $5,000 that you could put toward a car, the wisest thing that you can do is to buy only a $5,000 car. Then keep saving. Down the road, you sell that car for $3,000 and add another $5,000 to it to buy an $8,000 car. And you work your way up from there. Perhaps you start or started with a car that was 20 years old when you bought it. And then every five years or so, you buy a car that's around eight years newer than the last one. Eventually, you'll have that newer car, and but you'll do it in a wise way. So you're only going to buy a vehicle that you could pay for in cash. And this will keep you from overspending on vehicles, as most people do. Right? We talked about that over the last few weeks, that most people, so many people, anyways, have cars that are beyond their means, and they have way too much of their cash flow, way too much of their assets tied up in vehicles or in paying for vehicles. So you want to buy a car, and if you can't, if you can't buy it in cash, that means the car you're trying to buy is too much for you to buy, and you need to go lower. Suppose, though, that you do have the cash for the car that you want. You've determined that $20,000 is the price you are willing to pay for a vehicle, and that that amount aligns with your values. You thought about the other things that you could do with either the money or with the payments, and you thought, you know, that's the amount. Anything more than that is going to start creeping into the other things that are important to me, my family, my passions, other things, um, And but I, I certainly can afford $20,000. And you could get $20,000 in cash and just withdraw it from different accounts and you could pay cash for a car. Should you? This leads us to principle number three. Debt is risk. Debt is risk. If you choose to finance the car, you are undertaking risk. right? Because you must make that payment on the vehicle every month, even if life changes. And many people forget this when they advocate financing a car at 5% and investing the $20,000 to make 10%. They're always doing this math in this like utopian universe where it always works out. But in the real world, it's likely that as soon as you do that, Murphy's Law will kick in. You'll lose your job, your car needs repairs, and the market is down all at the same time. And you still must make that payment on that car that you currently can't drive because it doesn't work, and all that money that you invested is way down from where you invested it. When everything works, leveraging debt to invest works. Works great. But how often does everything work? Debt is risk. Keep this in mind as you think about paying cash versus financing. 
Another key principle would be principle number four. It's all connected. It's all connected. If there's one thing that comprehensive financial planning teaches you is that it's all connected. No financial decision is made in a vacuum. It's not just cash versus credit. What about taxes? What about market cycles? What about retirement savings or income? Just because you can pay cash for it doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can finance, it doesn't mean that you should. For example, you know, where, where's the market cycle when you're looking to buy? Perhaps you're looking to buy it right now as this is coming out when the market is down from its all-time high and, and you currently have the cash. Depending on your appetite for risk, you might consider financing the car at 4 or 5% and investing the cash in the dip. When the market recovers, it's 20 plus percent to come back to where it was uh, at the previous all-time high. You could always pull the money out at that time and pay off the loan and keep the difference. Because when you, know, when you think about annualized returns for the market being 10%, as you look back in history, whenever there's a dip, the annual returns coming out of that are usually much higher than the long-term annualized returns. And so if the market you know, takes six months to come back, you will have annualized a 40% return. If it takes a year to come back, you will have made 20% in a year, much higher than the long-term rates. Even if it takes two years to come back, you will have still made your 10%. But of course, there's always a risk that it could take longer. And if it takes four years to come back from 20% down, well, then you've broken even on taking out that 5% loan on the car. On the flip side, what if you were looking to buy and the market was at an all-time high? then perhaps buying in cash would be the better option. Perhaps you might even sell some of your non-retirement investments if you're not retired yet, or if you are retired, pull some extra out of retirement because you are selling at what is currently an all-time high. Yes, the market could keep going up, but the odds are less in your favor during an all-time high peak than they are in a dip. So depending on where the market cycle is might influence whether or not you pay cash or finance. And again, all this is under the umbrella of you could pay cash. And so this is not a, you actually can't afford this car and you're just financing it to live beyond your means. This is, we can afford to pay cash and we're deciding whether or not it's a good idea. Or what if you retire, right? Is pulling $30,000 net out of your IRA to buy a $30,000 car and paying taxes at your highest marginal tax rate really the best move? Because you're not going to just pull out $30,000. you are also going to have to pull out another five, eight, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, depending on your tax rates, to pay the taxes on that withdrawal. And then pay out, pull out even more to pay the taxes on the taxes. And so if you're pulling all that out, what could amount to forty, fifty grand to buy a $30,000 car, is that really the best way to do that? Sure, you might be saving 5% in interest, right? And therefore, you can appease your never pay interest, never get in debt, never do any of those things. But if you, trying to avoid paying 4 or 5% in interest, pull out a bunch of money that pushes you into a tax bracket that's 10% higher, you didn't save anything. You don't win by avoiding paying 4% in interest by paying 10% more in taxes than you would otherwise need to. You might be better off financing that vehicle to spread the cost over several years and take those withdrawals over a few years to reduce the total tax on that than you would pulling it all out in a lump sum. And maybe you could pull it from a Roth, sure, and it'll all be tax-free, but what about the long-term effects of that? Have you calculated that? Have you 
seen what that will do because once you pull that money out, if you're not working, you can't get it back in. And if we looked at the long-term impact of removing all of the money and how much long-term tax-free growth you will lose out on by spending that all now in a lump sum versus potentially financing it. On the other hand, if you foolishly, I might add, have 50 to 70% of your portfolio in fixed income, annuities, and cash value life insurance, which is you know making, what, 2 3% per year, why would you finance a, a car at 4 or 5%? Why would you do that? If, if a, a majority of your portfolio is making less than what your car interest rate would be, then that's leverage in the wrong direction. Right? You are borrowing money to keep it invested or to invest it and make less than the rate you are borrowing at. And so in some cases you have even you know financial services representatives that will will tell their clients to no just finance it that way we can take this money and put it in this annuity or in this investment or in this whole life policy all the while not tell them like hey you're actually going to make less in returns on this crappy product than you are paying an in interest on that car. So if that's if that's what your portfolio is, right? If that's how you're you're invested, then no, it wouldn't make sense to finance. It'd, it'd be the opposite. So the answer, as always, when it comes to finances, is it depends. Should you pay cash or should you finance? It depends. But these principles do give you some context for how to think about that decision, right? It depends. It depends on what. It depends on all these factors. Where's the market cycles? What are your tax brackets? You know, can you afford it or not truly afford the car? Can you pay cash for it, even if you decide not to or not? And a host of other issues. They do give you some context to follow, but if these are all too much and you're, you're realizing like, man, this is actually a lot. There's more that goes into the decision of buying or financing a car than you thought. Then I would encourage you to go engage your financial planner in the discussion if you're not sure how they're all connected. Any decision involving a lot of money, whatever that means to you, should always include their wise counsel. Personally, I've paid cash for vehicles. I've also financed one on a five-year note that I paid off in eight months just due to the cycles that were at play at the time when I did it. I've also advised some clients to pay cash and others to finance. I've advised many that the price that they were looking at is too high for their financial position and had the conversation about values and aligning their car purchases with their values with multiple people. You know, it often comes up that, you know, they, they're saying, hey, I want to buy this car and, and they're very excited about it. And you kind of have to stop and think, you know, look, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you know, you might you might fire me for saying this, but you should definitely fire me for not saying this. Because as your planner, it's my job to, to just make you aware of things. And, you know, you said that you wanted to do this, this and this. And you said that this, this and this were important to you. and But now you're saying you want to buy this car. And this seems at odds with everything else that you've told me. And so I just I just want to ask, like, did something change? Did your values change? Did your goals change? Did what you want to do change? Or did we just did we just get distracted by the shiny red bow on top of the car? And, and so we've had all these discussions with multiple clients going multiple different ways, and it all depends. So here are the final two principles to leave you with as you're thinking about how it depends and how to decide what it depends on. Principle number five, when in doubt, pay cash. When in doubt, pay cash. More people get into trouble financing than those who pay cash, right? More people 
bite off more than they can chew, uh, get more car than they can truly afford, get stuck making car payments that end up being beyond their means or that put a, a, a tightness or a binding on their household budget. And, and so many more people get into trouble financing than paying cash. If you pay cash, right, you might miss out on some opportunities. You might pay too much in taxes. You might do some of these other things, but you're less likely to make a mistake paying cash than financing. So principle five, when in doubt, pay cash, followed immediately by principle six, get good financial advice so that you're never in doubt. I hope this has been helpful to you. This wraps up our little mini series on buying the cars. We covered buying versus leasing. We covered buying old versus buying new. And lastly here, financing versus paying cash. If that has been helpful to you and you are in conversations with other people who are thinking about buying cars, feel free to share these podcasts with them so they can listen through and maybe give them for some perspective on, on how the purchase decision factors into the rest of their finances and hopefully will be helpful to them as well. If you enjoyed that, you would love being part of our free membership community. It's called Retire Membership and has a host of benefits all for free. For example, you can always buy my book, 3D Retirement Income on Amazon. But if you join us at Retire Membership, we will send you either a hard copy or paperback for free, provide the ebook and the audiobook so that you can listen to it if you don't have time to read it. In addition to that, we'll also provide you with a bunch of content that you can't get anywhere else. For example, we have our quarterly retire mentorship magazine, which comes out quarterly and has no ads whatsoever. It's just timely content to help you stay the course. We also have workbooks for our free online workshop to help you get the most out of those, flowcharts to help you make better decisions, and a weekly email to provide timely content that you can unsubscribe from at any time. We never ask for any payment information and we never share your information with anyone else. We just want to provide timely content and help you stay the course to retire successfully and stay successfully retired. There's no reason to wait. So join us now at retiremembership.com where you can click in the link in the description and it'll go right there. We can't wait to see you in the community. Cheers. This podcast is educational only and is not investment, tax, or legal advice.